are listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy, and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join, but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief, because all children leave footprints on our hearts. Good morning and welcome to episode 55 of Footprints on Our Hearts. Today I've got an interview with Claire Cassidy whose son Finn sadly passed away last year aged just 34 days after being diagnosed with a rare heart condition. We talk about how she realised that Finn wasn't well, being rushed to the NICU and then transferred to Glasgow Children's Hospitals, um, receiving a heartbreaking diagnosis of multiple heart conditions and having to watch her son undergo two open heart surgeries. And then his eventual, uh, the day that he had some complications during further surgery and passed away. And we also talk a bit about her grief and about the grief of Finn's older brother, Lucas, who wasn't able to see his baby brother in hospital um, due to to sort of COVID restrictions. And obviously this was last summer, so the family were going through all of this whilst there were various hospital restrictions in place. So it's a really um, great interview and I hope you enjoy it. Um... As for what is going on with me, well, I am very much enjoying a little bit of warmer weather. It's not quite t-shirt weather up here in Yorkshire. (laughs) I don't know what it's like where you are, Um, but it is nice to be able to go outside and breathe in air that isn't freezing bitterly cold um, for a change. And I actually sat out in the garden for maybe half an hour with Rowan, um, the other day, it was a few days ago, I've kind of lost a bit of track of time recently. Um, and it was really lovely just to be able to sit outside without like multiple layers and hats and gloves and scarves. And um, it has got a little bit chillier since then. So I'm back on with the hats and gloves, but that might just be me. And I feel cold quite a lot of the time. And I also wanted to put a little bit of a request out today just before we get into the interview. Um, I've nearly got to the end of my recorded interviews, so I am looking for new interviewees. If you know someone who you think would be really great to have on the podcast, who you'd like to hear their story, um, or if you have a story you'd like to share, I'm particularly interested in talking to grandparents who've experienced a loss of a grandchild and supporting their their sort of children through those losses, Um, sibling loss, um, and and in particular, any other underrepresented uh, voices in the baby loss community. So, you know, I'm always on the lookout for um, black, brown parents, friends of parents and anyone really who feels like their particular situation and baby loss experience hasn't been represented on the podcast so far. I do try to share as many diverse stories as I can Um, and certainly one thing I've discovered from being in this community is that there are so many different types of loss um, that happen and you know I want to make sure that all those voices are heard so if you want to get in touch with me about this then you can message me on Instagram or you can email me at alison at footprintsonourhearts.com um, and that's all for me today I'll get into the interview and I'll be back again in a fortnight take care
Today I'm joined on the podcast by Claire, whose son Finn sadly passed away last year after being diagnosed with a rare heart condition. Welcome to the podcast, Claire. It's great to have you here. And could you start just by introducing your family for us? Hi, Alison. Thank you for having me. So um, I've been with my partner, Mark, for just over seven years now. Um, We had our oldest son, Lucas, in 2016 and then fell pregnant with Finn at the end of 2019. And he was born July of last year. And how did your pregnancy with Finn go? Were there any concerns as you were going through or was it fairly straightforward? Fairly straightforward. Um, So at the 12 week scan, obviously they do the bloods and things then. So I, at my next appointment with the midwife, we were told that I had low papi at that point, which really isn't anything too concerning. There's just the sort of chance that the placenta isn't working as it should be. So there's sort of concerns with low gestational age at birth and things like that. For that, I was just put on to baby aspirin and scans a lot more frequently. But Finn was born at 40 and 1. I was just at 40 weeks because of that. But it was a healthy nine pounds. So, you know, oh, that's a good weight. <laughs> obviously, nothing, nothing too wrong there. <laughs> So yeah, apart from that, very straightforward. And I guess was everything okay in terms of the post-birth checks he had, and was it did his birth go all right? You were kind of feeling all right afterwards. Yeah, so I wasn't just exactly forty weeks, but at night time, just because he was my second baby, they say you generally go a bit quicker. Induction generally works a bit better if it's your second. So because of that, they brought me in at night and. I started labouring during the night and Mark was then, because of obviously all the restrictions, they didn't bring him in so it was sort of active labour at that point. So he was born at 10 to 11 in the morning and we got home about 11 o'clock that night. All the checks were absolutely fine, nothing too concerning. I think at that point they just couldn't do the little hearing check. Mm. I don't know if that was something to do with COVID and things, but he should have had his sort of check for that six weeks, but unfortunately didn't get to that point. Mm. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think that that's kind of quite common. It's a specialist who does it as well, and particularly if they were wanting yeah. to discharge you early, I think, you know, they just bring you back, as you say, a few weeks later or something just to um, just to pick that up. So you had all your boys together at home, settling into yeah. life as a mum of two, which I imagine was kind of quite crazy, certainly. When did you realise that Finn wasn't very well? So he was born on the Friday and it was the following Thursday, so he was about he was six days old at that point and I'd said to Mark we were all in the living room Lucas was already away to bed and I said to Mark listen I'm just going to go up to bed with him he's obviously just seemed really sort of gurney and unsettled and I remember thinking it was quite strange like through the week with his feeding so Lucas at birth he was £8.14 so a big boy as well and he would take you know a good a good amount of feed he would take about four ounces every three to four hours and with Finn, he was maybe taking an ounce and a half. It was really quite difficult with his feeding. I would actually have to wake him up to try and feed him, which I didn't know at the time, but that is a sign of what his defect was. So because the blood, part of his heart that was missing, that causes an issue with the blood and it just makes him really lethargic. So on the Thursday night, I sort of noticed, this is quite strange, and I thought, I'll just go up with him and 
see how it goes and I remember taking notes through the night because I just found it really strange and then it sort of clicked with me about half four or five o'clock that something wasn't quite right he didn't really cry (laughs) for a new baby he didn't cry much and at this point he was really quite unsettled through the night and not feeding and then when I did feed him it was just a really slow feed and then he brought that up as well and then I noticed he was quite cold so the coldness kind of threw me you know he was a July baby so (laughs) nice and warm outside and I thought that's really strange I um, made the little thermometer in our room so I knew that the temperature was fine and he was dressed appropriately for bed and stuff like that and at that point we thought We'll take him out of his little baby grow and Mark was going to try and do some skin to skin and it was when we popped his legs out we noticed his legs were all mottled so it was just starting there was more and more sort of adding up and at that we got the thermometer out and I think it was temperature was 39.2 at that point so all sort of alarm bells started ringing there yeah and I guess did you find that because he was your second baby you were it was a bit, perhaps a bit easier to pick up on those signs and you sort of realised that there wasn't something right. Because I, I mean, I, so I had my, um, my rainbow baby last year and, you know, having the sort of first baby coming home, like you just, I was like, I don't know, what, is this normal? Is this not normal? You know, and I guess you had some indication of that based on your experience with Lucas. Yeah, I think because with them both being sort of similar birth weights and sizes and they were both obviously born at term as well, and it just it really wasn't adding up. And as I say, it was when we took his little legs out of his baby grow and I saw certain mottled skin. I thought, right, that's that's definitely not right. So I, do, I think because he's my second, and I've said this like to my mum and my aunts, I think if he was my first, I think it's a lot easier to explain a lot of things away. Um, you know, I would have thought, oh, well, he's a new baby. He's getting used to the outside world. And, yeah, I think you can explain a lot away with a new baby in general. Um, So I think being my second, I think it it might have helped. I I don't know. It's hard to tell. Yeah. So what what did you do at that point when you noticed that he had this mottled skin? So at that point, my mum is actually a nurse. So um, I ask her a lot of questions. She was actually a paediatrics nurse before she'd gone into adult nursing. So she was actually on a night shift. Uh, I didn't know this at the time. And I just text her saying, I'm a little bit concerned. This is what's going on. I sent her a few pictures of the mottled skin. And she was just coming off of the night shift. So she lives in a, a, a lives locally and work is just, you know, in the same town. So she was like, right, I'll, your dad's picking me up from work. I'll come over. So that was fine. So she came over and she, I just left him in the Moses basket and I thought, you know, kind of bundled him up at that point. And I thought, right, she can have a good look when she comes here. She just took one look at him and she lifted him up. And as she lifted him, he just kind of flopped. And at that, she told me she was going to phone an ambulance. So I think at that, I knew it was really quite bad whatever was going on you know to the point I actually took a panic attack I could barely get my words out or anything so at that she phoned an ambulance she was using all the correct terminology I don't really know what she was saying and fantastic that you had her there to do that and you know obviously her being a nurse they would immediately be able to to understand what she was saying and to know that it was really serious yeah so at that um the sort of first response unit came first um 
and she had taken a, what was it, a, like a blood sugars and he was way low so it hypoed at that point so they dropped like the sort of glucose gel into his gums and were trying to pick him up that way and then at that the actual ambulance came and you know there was sort of three around him and it wasn't exactly responsive but he was still with us at this point so at that they got us into the back of the ambulance and generally speaking you would go to our closest hospital but because he was still seven days and in that sort of neonatal period they took him to the, the closest hospital with the neonates unit so we got there and I think the NICU and the A&E department had all sort of stood down and were prepared for him coming in so at one point I think Mark had actually counted it and there was 14 people around him so that was quite frightening like I held him in the ambulance and had to hold a sort of an oxygen mask to him got there in about 15 minutes and as we got there they literally just like took him out my arms and that was it and at that point, we were stood in the room and then they were wanting to do an x-ray. So they did need us to stand back for that just because of the radiation. But at that point, we decided we were just going to sit in the family room. There was just far too much going on and far too many people around them. Um, so at that, they got them stabilised and took them to the NICU. And after that, they allowed us to come up. So we went up there, saw them. I got quite a fright. Basically, they told us that quite a few consultants had had a look at all of the scans. So they'd done different sort of imaging and quite a few were not happy with the anatomy of his heart at this point. One of the nurses did say to me, generally speaking, if as a sort of cardiac issue, it does appear sort of five to seven days old. So it was starting to kind of click with us at that point. Now, this hospital doesn't really deal with cardiac so at that it was a specialist team that had to transfer him from there to Glasgow Children's Hospital and um, so that's like the sort of cardiac centre in Scotland so they deal with all sort of severe cardiac babies and children and we got there so we got to the first hospital about nine o'clock maybe just after and we got to the second hospital maybe just between half six and seven and we had his diagnosis at about half past nine that night. And what was the diagnosis that they gave you? So initially we were told he had common arterial trunk, which is also known as truncus arteriosus type 1. So basically there's meant to be two valves that come from the heart and his didn't split. So that left just one. So when the blood pumps up there, it's not got a sort of direct path to go. It just kind of chooses where to go. And of course it goes to the lungs and the brain. It sort of preserves the more vital organs but because of that his sort of lower part of his body began to shut down then a couple of days later I think so he got taken in a Friday night which isn't ideal for sort of diagnostics you've got lesser staff and so come the Monday we were sort of assigned his surgeon and told you know everything so he had the truncus arteriosus but he also had interrupted aortic arch type B, I'm sure it was. So again, that's just part of the aortic arch is missing. And then he also had a, ventric a ventricular septal defect that comes from the truncus arteriosus a lot of the time. Some kids with truncus don't have it, but a lot of the time it is quite common. So yeah, that was the, the exact diagnosis that we'd received for him. And what what was... What was the kind of prognosis at this point? I mean, you must have been completely in shock. What what did they tell you about, I guess, about Finn's chances, both in the short term and longer term? 
I mean, it is, you know, fixed. I don't know if it's, it's fixable. You know, they can they can operate on it, and that is what they've done, and they operated twice in the space of a week. Wow. Yeah, so that was two major open-heart surgeries. So, you know, his heart was actually fully repaired. That isn't actually how he passed away. Um, he passed away from further complications. But a few times we were told, you know, is the night before he was having his surgery, the anaesthetist wanted to speak to us. Now, they are scary people. <laughs> so she told us, you know, he's having the biggest operation of all children in the full of the UK tomorrow. And I've just signed a consent form to say, yeah, it's fine. So I was a bit like, I, I don't really know what to take from this. So I went home totally on edge. I was already on edge as it was. So we were told that and he fortunately came out of it and, you know, all went well. Basically, the following day, the sats and stuff weren't sitting great. What had happened was they thought... Because the amount that had been done to his heart, so basically a baby's heart is the size of their fist, so they're working with a tiny, tiny organ. And because of the amount that had been done to it, it generally it can swell. So they thought, you know, that had swollen and then his chest probably wasn't open enough. So they went in and opened the sternum a bit further and left the chest open. And that seemed to help. It seemed to relieve some of the pressure and at that the sats get back to normal. The next morning, he had a cardiac arrest. So they got him back at that point and it was decided to put him on ECMO, which is like a heart and lung. So basically when he was having the open heart surgery, they put them on a heart and lung bypass machine. So that sort of takes over all the work and things like that. But the ECMO kind of does that as well and gives the organs a chance to sort of recover. Um Attached to the ECMO was also a filter for his kidneys. So, as I'd said previously, the downwards organs obviously took a bit of a hit. The kidneys being one of them. So, he was also in kidney failure as well. Um, so, that filter is like a sort of dialysis machine. It tries to get them working again. So, he was put on that. And then, four days later, they went in and done another open heart surgery. And at that point, everything seemed to be okay. And then a couple of days later, it was looking a bit shaky again. So as I say, like everyone knows, NICU, PICU, whatever, is a total roller coaster. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what this was. And basically, at this point, they were like, right, he's not going to withstand another operation. He's had two open heart surgeries that have lasted like eight hours, roughly, within a week of one another. They were like, if if we put him through that again, there's... We don't know. So at that point, they'd done cardiac catheterization. So they went through his thigh and then put a little stent in, and that worked perfectly. So I think it was two days later, they sort of gave him a bit of time to get over that. It's a smaller procedure. Um, so he kind of got over that, and then with the ECMO machine, we were starting to get into what they call sort of rocky territory. So there's... With ECMO comes a lot of risks. You've got the risk of stroke, haemorrhage, just there, there is so much, clotting issues, everything. Um, so we were starting to get into rocky territory. He'd been on it about 10 days at this point. And it was at the stage where we were thinking, right, we need to come off of this. So they said, give him another few days. So a few days later, they tested him off of it. So they, they gradually wean it over the hour. 
So they'd done that and he completely coped with it um, perfectly. So the plan was to put it back on full for that night and then the following day what they wanted to do was go back into his chest, clean it all out, make sure there were no clots and then try getting them off ECMO for good. So we were sent away and there was another procedure happening in the morning so they said to us, oh he'll get taken sort of early afternoon, we'll phone you when we know anything. So they phoned Mark and they didn't say anything. So I think at this point I kind of, I knew, I didn't want to know, but um, we were taken and the little Clark S at the front of the PICU was there waiting and she went, oh, uh, Finn's mum and dad. And we were like, yeah. And she's like, oh, if I can just pop you in this room here. So that was like, oh, if you're put in a room, you just know, don't you? So we were put in the room and we were sitting and then Mark had went to... I think he just went down to the toilet and then he was phoning his mum quickly. But while he was away, three people came to the room and I was on my own. So when you know it's three people, I was a bit like, what are you doing here? And the nurse still had her sort of like scrub hat on and was still sort of scrubbed up. And I thought, this is really, really bizarre. You know, you wouldn't normally speak to us until it's done and you're still scrubbed up. So so that they were like oh are you on your own and I said oh no Mark will be back in a minute and he came back in and they started to explain that during the procedure they'd ran into some complications he put it as quite catastrophic complications so that I thought right okay so basically the ECMO was in um, it's like different cannulas that go in and do the work basically so when they went in, they were moving the cannulas, but the tissue from where the cannula was attached to was just so weak. It had been used so much, and he'd obviously been under a lot of procedures, open-heart surgery, anaesthetic, everything, um, that it was just so, so weak and fragile that the cannula came away and he actually hemorrhaged. So they lost him at two points. So they lost him for 17 minutes and got him back. And then there was another downtime of 30 minutes. So by this stage, he would have been severely brain damaged, is what they said. There was one more operation they could have done. And if somehow he managed to withstand that, he probably wouldn't have. But if somehow he did, he was going to come out of it brain damaged and still have heart issues anyway. So, you know about 20 people in this unit sort of made the decision and we called it as well so with that conversation and they went and cleaned him up because I think he was a bit of a mess like when they gave me him it was covered in sort of um like bandages and just all sorts like plasters all down that side of his body so they'd sort of withdrew all the life support so the ventilator was taken off the ECMO circuit was taken off the filter, all the meds were withdrawn apart from the morphine. So they kept the morphine on and they just bagged air into him and then passed them to me. So I was able to sit and hold them while they took those last breaths. And at that, they just sort of withdrew the, the bagging. So they were bagging them um, and they just withdrew that and let them take those sort of last breaths in my arms. Um, and then obviously Mark, he got sitting with him next and then my mum and dad actually turned up as well so um, I had them there as well and that that whole roller coaster which lasted um I guess was it about sort of 27 28 days he was in the NICU for the PICU 27 days yeah 
Yeah, and that must have been incredibly traumatic for you both to see him sort of, you know, after going through all these surgery um, and wired up and everything that he, he was, you know, attached to. Had you kind of prepared yourself during that time for the fact that he might not come home or did you always think that he would get through it and he would survive? I mean, there was that thought and we were told, you know, on a few occasions he's the sickest child in Scotland, not even just in in the hospital, but in the full of Scotland. And I thought, surely not, like, you know, Scotland, you know, small, but not that small. And I thought, surely he can't be, like, really. And um, there was one really kind consultant and she said, you know, we're, we're hoping for the best, but we've got to go by what Finn does and, you know, how he responds. And there is that chance. And we were told countless times, there is that chance, there is that chance. And he's the sickest child in Scotland. And I don't know, I just I didn't. And I knew that, but I think I just didn't register that to an extent. And I think, I don't know, I think when these medics know best and they've probably got an idea, but I think as the parent, you just want to be the one that kind of hopes, you know, nobody else is mm-hmm. kind of hoping. So, you know, as his parents, that's our job. Yeah, if your hope can save him, then you'll, you know, you'll do whatever you can, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, nobody else is doing this, so, you know, if we can, then maybe. And did you spend a bit of time with him in the hospital after he passed away? Yeah, we spent quite a long time, actually, so my mum and dad came and they got a shot and had a wee cuddle and things like that, and we then actually left the hospital, so... Basically, through this full thing, so Lucas was never allowed in just because of COVID and things like that. So my dad had actually been taking Lucas pretty much every single day. So my mum and dad actually had him at this point and had to phone. And I never, ever phoned through this. I just would update my mum and dad when I went home to pick Lucas up from them. So I phoned. So I think my mum knew. And I said, I was like, Is there, could you get Lucas down to my granny and granddad's? Um, they just live around the corner and I said could you could you get him down there and would you and dad be able to come over and she went oh and she kind of stuttered and stumbled for a minute and she kind of said oh is he away and I said well not yet but he's going to be very soon and I said I'm not really wanting to tell you too much because I don't want you to get upset in front of Lucas and I feel that's mine and Mark's place to sort of tell him so myself and Mark and my parents had our time with them and then they moved Finn into a little room in a Moses basket um, they removed the cannulas as well while we were away so we went home, we went to my granny and granddad's and Mark had the job of telling Lucas so we told him and I've never heard him cry like that, like you know when you've got children and if they cry you know they need they need fed or they need changed or as they get older they've hurt themselves or it's a tantrum, you've told them no but this is a cry I've never sort of heard before and I still hear it, I still hear it to this day. Um, so at that, my mum and dad just took Lucas with them home and myself and Mark had to go and get like a little outfit to dress Finn in. And I actually asked the nurse before I left, I said, oh, can I can I bring his own toiletries? Which is really like, I don't know, I just, I didn't want to use anything of the hospital. I thought this is the last time I'm going to get to do this. So I'm using all of his own stuff. And... Um, we came home and, you know, we said all along we were going to let Lucas have, you know, an input and help and things like that. So we went home, we all picked an outfit together and it was the outfit we brought him home in. 
so we picked that and I took his toiletries with me and we got to wash him and hold him and spend quite a bit of time with him and then he was transferred to the mortuary that night which is just across the road so the following day we were allowed to go there as well and spend some time with him and then so that would have been the Friday and they're shut over weekends um, and then on the Monday we went back and that was the last we saw him so that was fine so we went and saw him and there's a play team at the children's hospital and they made little casts of his hands and feet and framed them so we had all that sort of stuff to pick up um, and then he was picked up by the, the funeral directors that day um, but we didn't see him again after that that was the last and um, I think with children if they've passed away they say the changes are you know a lot quicker so the funeral directors actually advised us against seeing him after that they said no like it's there's been too many changes you don't want to see and at that we just sort of decided to continue with funeral planning and whatever we sort of had to do at that point and so for Lucas then um he had obviously he'd seen his brother when you brought him home after his birth and then he yeah. hadn't seen him at all while he was in hospital or or when he passed away no. um and he's is he about five i think now is he four or five yeah he turned five last week yeah yeah so so he's still quite young but old enough to kind of have some understanding and concept of what of what's happening and how how has he grieved for his brother and do you think I'm not explaining this very well but how do you do you think the fact that he was kind of I guess so separated from that process and not able to see Finn when he was sick or after he passed away do you think that um was helpful for him in his grief or do you think that hindered him and how have you tried to help him through that process I think it's definitely hindered him um so while Finn was sick um he kept saying you know can I come and see him? And we had to explain, like, you know, it's not sort of able to at the minute because of just everything that was going on, you know. Like, we were lucky even myself and Mark were allowed in at the same time. I know some hospitals, it's, you know, one parent and parents are having to take turns, which is just absolutely horrendous. But we were told, so this this really, really bothers myself and Mark still six months on, but we asked, we asked a couple of times, would would Lucas be able to come in, come and visit? And they said, oh, you know, we, we can't really allow that the now. The only way we would allow it is, you know, if, if we thought we were near the end and blah, blah, blah. But then we're also being told at the same time, oh, he's the sickest child in Scotland and we don't know what this outcome is going to be. And it's kind of like, so what one is it? You know, because you're telling us he's the sickest child in Scotland, but then you're telling us, oh, well, no, your other son can only visit him if, you know, we think we're at that stage. And I'm thinking, you've kind of told us a couple of times that we are at that stage, so where are we at? And then when he passed away, Mark had said, you know, with Lucas coming, you know, they were like, because I said he's with my mum and dad, but I'll phone my mum and dad and I'd quite like them here. And they actually were like, we don't think you should bring Lucas. And it's like, what one is it? Like, you're saying, no, only in the last moments or, you know, when we think things are nearly at the end. But then they're like, oh, no, we don't think that's a good idea. And Lucas still brings it up to this day. He's like, I don't know why I wasn't allowed to see him. He was my brother and he was my baby. And he's quite like, you know, he doesn't seem to understand. And do you think that was just, was that just because of COVID? Because surely 
it, it doesn't really make sense that your parents would have been allowed in and other family would have been allowed in and he wouldn't be from that perspective or do you think they just thought that I don't know it wasn't appropriate for him to I be think there? initially when they said no I think it was due to COVID and you know they thought we weren't quite there yet even though they'd said he's the sickest child in Scotland mm-hmm. and then I think after that it was because he passed away is why they let my parents in so I think it was more a sort of appropriate sort of a thing you know they've already got grieving parents grieving grandparents do we really need a four-year-old as well but that's your decision isn't it it's it's like for you to kind of because you're the one who's having to support him through through that that is quite hard but um Mm. we've involved him in a lot of ways you know um so when we came home that night and we all picked an outfit together and Lucas had bought a bunny while I was pregnant he bought this little grey furry bunny and that had actually been in the hospital with Finn the full time um, so he was buried alongside that and then there's a really really good charity local to us um, called Brightest Star so they, what they do is they provide memory boxes to like hospitals maternity units mortuaries funeral directors lots of different places you know where they might come up against this so within that box, there's two little teddy bears. So one gets buried with Finn and one goes with us, but we gave it to Lucas. So there's that. And then with his funeral, we were picking flowers and Lucas said he wanted rainbow flowers. So obviously with the restrictions again, you're allowed 20 people at a funeral. So we got a mixture of like 20 colourful flowers and everyone got one to sort of throw in with them. So we've done that as well. So we've involved him with like quite a lot of sort of decision-making you know, he picks things for his grave. He actually asked Santa for a present for Finn. So he got a little, one of those little care bears. Me and my sister had them when we were younger. And my sister bought one for Finn while I was expecting. So she gave me that at my baby shower. And um, Santa brought another one. <laughs> um, so that's actually his <laughs> grave as well. We put that in a lantern with a couple of candles and things. So he's he's quite involved in that way. So, yeah, we, we try and do what we can where we can. And it's just a lot of questions and sometimes they hit you and you're like, where's that came from? So I think it's just one of those things I've got to navigate as it comes. There's not really a wrong or right yeah. answer. And I remember one of the consultants saying to us, you know, you can read all these baby books. There's plenty out there, but no one, no one's written a book on what to do when your child's sick or passes away. And that is, nobody's written it. <laughs> Nobody knows. There's no guide. Um, you've just got to sort of go with it. And we're recording this about sort of five and a half months down the line. What has your experience of grief been like over those months, and where have you found support and help? Um, a roller coaster, really. So, you know, I'm I'm only six months postpartum, which isn't long at all. So, you know, it, it comes in that way. I think the the sort of physical changes are quite hard. You know, like my hair's falling out and things like that and normally I wouldn't mind but it's like you've not even got the baby to show for it so I think that's quite it's the, the physical things really quite get to me but yeah it's a roller coaster I did start having um grief therapy in December so that's like a sort of ongoing thing and I, I have found that really helpful I think just having that safe space where it's somebody that you don't know that like, you can maybe get your strange thoughts out to, you know, there's there's a lot of, like, I don't know, my therapist herself has actually been through this, like, 30 years ago, but, you know, she's 
she's got that experience there and you know I think at the beginning I really really blamed myself you know and I had that sort of guilt emotion that I've brought this baby into the world and this has happened and it must have done something wrong you know how do these things just happen and I blamed myself for a long time over that and you know nobody understood that you know I'd have my mum saying oh you've not done anything wrong you can't have and Mark saying the same and I don't I think it's really frustrating because I'm like but I feel like this and nobody gets it um, so I think speaking to a therapist that's a lot more sort of rational and does get it and has maybe had those feelings previously as well. Spoken to another few women who've gone through the same thing and, you know, they've had those sort of feelings. It's across the board, any woman that I've spoken to does generally feel that sort of, what have I done wrong? Why has this happened? And, you know, it, it does just happen, you know, and it's just one of those things that, no matter what I'd done, like I'd done everything I was meant to. I knew I was pregnant pretty early on. I went to every appointment, every scan, I took all my prenatal vitamins, you know, I'd done everything. There's nothing that, nothing more I could have done. And I, I understand that now, but at the time it's, I think you want to blame someone and it's easiest to blame yourself when you're already feeling a million other emotions. It's like, why not just dump this on me as well? Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that is, that is, totally normal and part of grief and you have all these crazy thoughts don't you and sometimes you think you're kind of going crazy <laughs> and as you say just having just knowing that actually other people have also had those thoughts who have been through this uh, and you're like oh okay maybe that is that's just part of grief yeah. and that's what it is and maybe I'm not actually going insane and you know I will get through yeah. this um, I think it's a feeling like okay I'm losing it here someone just validate this please yeah yeah and and you wrote some really beautiful words about around I think it was new year about Finn making you realize what was really important in life could you share some of your reflections on what he taught you about life and how you want to live your life in his memory yeah so I think he was obviously only here 34 days and he's touched a hell of a lot of people I know that for sure so I think it's just life is so short isn't it and I think we almost take it for granted you know that we're here and it's fine and oh I can do that tomorrow or I can do it next week and it's just really it's ridiculous how much we take it for granted and yeah I think it's just I am sad without him but I don't want this to be the rest of my life that's what I sort of decided early on I thought I can wallow in this or I can take what I want from it and enjoy life as as much as I can without them you know it's hard but I think I've been with Mark seven years and you know Lucas is five and and that time I've had really really good times with them and really really lovely memories and that's something I want to continue and I think I think we deserve that you know as a couple and as a family and I think Lucas deserves to have parents that think that as well I don't want this to be sort of what he remembers me like you know he was growing up and his mum was miserable. That's not for me. Um, so, yeah, like, I've, I've left my job. I've done that at the beginning of the year. I took on a course. So I'm actually doing a course in maternal and fetal health. So I'm doing that at the minute. I started that, actually, a week after Finn's funeral, which was very soon. Mm. And I've applied to university as well to study midwifery. And I'm now about to start with the NHS soon. So I've 
I've made a lot of changes, you know, where I think, you know, I'm not necessarily not happy in my job, but it's made me realise, you know, I've got an interest and I could make a difference and things like that. So, yeah, I think, like, it's just life's too short to not do what you want to do is more so what I've taken from him. Yeah, and congratulations on, on getting your place on that course and, yeah, best of luck for that. Thank you. I think that's that's really special and you know I'm sure you will go on to touch so many parents and so many babies lives in the future and Finn's been part of that which is really special yeah and finally um I think you have been using part of your maternity leave to start a a bit of a side business and you're planning a fundraising event in Finn's memory to raise money for the charities who supported you would you like to share what you've what else you've been up to apart from you know completely changing your life and career (laughs) and what you're planning very exciting um but you know some of the profits of that go to the British Heart Foundation um and then just this week, we, we've been speaking about it for a while, so Finn's funeral, there was only 20 people there, that's all we were allowed, and obviously there was no sort of celebration afterwards, just with all the restrictions, nowhere was open, and we'd said right from the start, well, you know, it's not a celebration, you know, he was, he was a tiny baby, it's not, just to us it wasn't right, and we thought, well, how about we have a fundraiser, and we've sort of said it since, you know, where we couldn't do anything, we thought, well, how about a year down the line, you know, his anniversary, his birthday or whatever, round about then, how about we, we arrange something? So we've started that this week. Um, so there's a couple of charities there. So the main one being the Children's Hospital. And then we've got Brightest Star that I've spoken about. So we received that memory box from them. And that's actually who my um, therapy has been through. So they, pre- they provide therapy to bereaved parents, grandparents and also siblings. They have raised funds for a special ambulance so that a parent can travel with any sick child in the west of Scotland and they also offer paediatric emergency first aid courses as well which again is really important like I remember Finn obviously he had that cardiac arrest and they had to bring him back and I just thought I I wouldn't know how to resuscitate a baby you know I've done the training for you know sort of adult first aid I wouldn't have a clue so yeah that's really important what they do and then there's another charity called the Zach Scott Braveheart Foundation so they provide sort of gifts to cardiac kids who are undergoing open heart surgery so what the kids can do is like grant a wish for anything they may want so toys or days out whatever it may be and they grant that wish after the, the kids come out of um, open heart surgery when they're sort of recovering and they just sort of hope that that aids the recovery and picks them up a little bit so I've actually got a necklace on just now with Finn's footprint on it that came from them so you know I wear that all the time Mark's got one as well so yeah they're another one so we're just sort of starting to kick off with that and get that all arranged hopefully it can go ahead <laughs> Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I think we're all hoping that the world is a little bit different in six months' time or, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and Finn's story with us, Claire. Would you like to finish by telling people where they can find and connect with you online? Yeah, so it's just my personal Instagram. I've not made anything sort of special. Um, So it's just clearcassidy96. Um, You'll be able to find me on there and it is a public page as well. Um, I find with it being public I've 
came across a few other mums, which has helped. Mm-hmm. So, yes, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's been a bonus for me. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Claire. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Footprints on Our Hearts. Please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on iTunes. You can follow me on Instagram at Footprints on Our Hearts and Twitter at Sky's Footprints. For detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for Tommies, please visit our website, footprintsonourhearts.com. <laughs>